Coming up next, how much will we be moved by this castle? Hey everybody, welcome to The Bookening 2021. We are talking Diana Wynne-Jones, Hal's moving castle today. But who are we? You're probably wondering as you sit on the edge of your seat, fully absorbed in this podcast. I know you wouldn't do anything else. I know you wouldn't listen to this while you're driving or working or doing the dishes. I know that when you listen to the bookening, you give it all your attention. You probably have one of those sensory deprivation tanks that you get into and you sensorily deprive yourself of everything but the bookening. And so, who are you giving your attention to today? Well, so far, just me, unfortunately. Nathan Aaron Alberson, your humble and obedient host of The Bookening, have been for many a year now. I think I'll let the gentlemen introduce themselves. I've never done this before. We'll see how it goes. Why don't I have the gentleman to my right introduce himself? Well, we're all seeing different things, so I don't know who's the gentleman to your right. <laughs> you, you actually both are to my right, come to think of oh. it. <laughs> Why don't I have the gentleman to my top right, hovering over me right now, Brandon Scott Chastain, introduce himself. Well, you just did it. I'm Brandon Scott Chastain. What Not your, much more to say than that. What is your function, Brandon? I am the scholar who's a baller of books. And or reading, depending on which version of the bookening you started listening to first. But it's officially books, right? Yeah. Books. I think books is the official title. Yeah. Because I can never remember, obviously, because I yeah. butcher it. I've had other titles, Ghost Brandon. That's true. Ghost Brandon and Jake was DJ Master Funky Town, I think, maybe? No, Beastmaster Funky Town. Beastmaster Funky Town, yeah. Yes. We should bring that back. I think so. Folks, we've got Ghost Brandon. Ghost Brandon's drinking out of a cup that looks like it has a bunch of quotes on it. It does. A screaming came comes across the sky. Are they just... It was the best... They're okay. The first lines of famous books. First lines of famous books. See how many of you, these you guys can get. Uh, screaming comes across the sky. Is that 1984? No, no. I think that's mm -hmm. Gravity's Rainbow. Oh, boo. That's what Jake was going to guess. Yeah, that's what I was going to guess. Anna Karenina is right there. Yeah, yep. you guys can see that. These are backwards to you guys, aren't they? Yeah, you're right. You better not never tell what comes after that. That's Nobody but God. Their eyes were watching God. Some black yeah, thing. I actually think that's right. It was the best. It was the worst. That's obviously Charles. Tales too. Dickens. Yep. Very good. We get, guys. Some more, get some more cup. This is fun. Mm. I, am I am an invisible, invisible man. man. I wonder where I that's, think that's from. That's Dracula. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Nice. No, Frankenstein. It, it was love all at first sight. It was love at first sight. That would be Catch 22. Nice. That's one I didn't know when I did this cup because I've never read that one. Call me Ishmael. Yes. Definitely Frankenstein. Definitely Frankenstein. Yeah, his name is, also, is actually Frankenstein. Ishmael he wants. He wants to be... Well, if your name was Frankenstein, wouldn't you want to go by something different? I would. I would. Let's see. As Gregor Samsa woke one morning, that would be Kafka's The Bug Thing. For a long time, I went to bed early. Ooh, I don't know that one. La recherche de ton perdu. The remembrance of things past. Oh. I think. Well, there you go. You don't know about me without... That may you be have wrong. heard there, of... I, a, the answers are all... Huck Finn. Yeah. Was the one I was starting to read. Yep. And then you I'm, I'm, took it out I'm, of my sight. Out of my sight. Yeah, that, that, <laughs> that was Marcel Proust. All right. 
What is the yellow one in between uh, Kafka? Lolita? Light of oh. my... Gee, I, I mean, I think what's that is... Life, it's fire of my loins, my sin, my uh, sin. Mrs. Dalloway, blah, blah, blah. I'm guessing that's from Frankenstein. Um, Do I need to keep going this way then? Yeah. Marley, Marley was, was dead. dead. That's from Marley and me. To begin <laughs> with. <laughs> what's the little one below sick. the Marley quote? Uh, I can't read that one. Oh, man. Hold a little... Uh, a little closer, True, a little... nervous, very, very dreadfully nervous. I have been and am. But Did... why will you say then to t- tell that I am mind? Mad, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you really, many years later, as uh, he okay. faced the firing squad, Colonel Aureliano Buendia oh, that's, um, was to remember that distant afternoon when his father took him to discover ice. Gabriel Garcia Mar- Marquez, or whatever his name yeah, is. 100 years. It was a pleasure to burn. That's Frankenstein. My younger and more vulnerable years. That's Great Gatsby. Yep. The one that has that all I can read is David Copperfield. I'm guessing is Frankenstein. Yep. If you really want to hear, hear about, about it. it, come on. You guys know that one. We read it. I'm a spiteful man. Which one? The if you really want to hear about it, the first thing you'll probably want to know is where I was born and why my oh. childhood. Was yeah, like. yeah. Catch twenty two. Catch twenty two. Yeah. Or, or not catch twenty two. Sorry. Uh, Catcher in the Rye. Yes, uh, I said yes because you said catch. Yeah, you I it. say catch. Mother I died said. today, or maybe yesterday. Clue, Ooh. it's one that people have wanted us to do for a long time, but we have never done. Hmm. Lady Chatterley's lover. <laughs> people <laughs> no. are always honest to do that. Mother Ex- died. Existential. Oh, stranger? Classic. Yeah. Yeah, oh. people, well, we'll do that one of these days. I am a spiteful man. What's the first part of that one? Where I'm a that? sick man. I am a spiteful man. Oh, that's the stupid underground man. Yeah, that's from the underground. All this happened, more or less. That's a really famous one that I know, but I can't pull it right now. All this happened, more or less. I've never read it. Indiana author. The Kurt Vonnegut? Yeah. Slaughterhouse 22? Or Slaughter, Slaughterhouse yeah, Slaughterhouse 22. 22. <laughs> I just want to make everything into stupid... Slaughterhouse, uh, uh, Slaughterhouse in the Rye. Slaughterhouse in the Rye. Now, that, I would read that. Slaughterhouse in the Rye sounds like a great horror classic. <laughs> is it truth universally acknowledged? Well, we all know that's Definitely Frankenstein. Frankenstein. Yep. yep. It was a, it was bright, a bright, cold, cold day, day in, in April. April, and the clocks were striking 13. That is 1984, and that line always ends up on calendars and cups and things, even though it's a completely sort of not interesting line. Although first line. Kind of 124 a- was spiteful, full of a baby's venom. Ooh, I don't know if I know that. Is that... Brendan doesn't know it either, it looks like. Reminding myself. Yeah. We've never read her. She's along the lines of Azora Neale Hurston just a few generations after. Zadie Smith? No. Uh, Beloved Tony Morris. Oh, I have read that, but I don't remember that line. I think that's all of them, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was fun. That was fun. (laughs) That's the episode. Goodbye, guys. Yep. (laughs) The Brandon's Cup episode. Well, we should say uh, that we have not introduced the third member of the team. He is waving around a magic wand right now, and that's actually not just a random thing that I'm saying. I'm literally waving a wand around. Yep. And you have to introduce yourself, though, Mr. Wand Waver. Hey, my name is Jake. I'm the pastor who's a master of reading. Yep, the pastor who's a master of magic today. Should you tell the people where 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 yeah. you got that wand? Why not? I am holding in my hand... The wand that chose me at Ollivander's in Diagon Alley in the Wizarding World of Harry Potter in Universal Studios Orlando. 
Yeah. It was pretty cool. It was yeah. it was really cool. Not gonna lie. It was awesome. So should I tell the whole story or is that yeah, enough? Why, why not? There's uh, I think our listeners would be interested to know. So we we don't do family vacations really. Just never really been able to apart from getting to go to Michigan with some friends on their generosity, um, the generosity of their family. They have um, some family houses up there with beach access to Lake Michigan. And we go up there and hang out and it's a lot of fun every year. But we haven't really been able to do much just in the, because of the size of our family financially and the, the church responsibilities to really get away and do anything cool. So we decided, actually stole this from another pastor friend in a similar situation, where about the age of 12 or 13, they take uh, their kids, and I I know a lot of families do this sort of like coming of age stuff, but they take their, you know, kid when they turn 12 or 13 and do kind of a trip of their choice. And so my oldest just turned 13 this spring, and his trip of choice was the Wizarding World of Harry Potter. And so he and I went two days and three nights in Orlando, and did Universal Studios and spent most of our time in the Wizarding World of Harry Potter because, let's face it, Universal Studios, the lamest of all the parks, except the Wizarding World of Harry Potter is awesome. Super you cool. You did see the Jason Bourne stunt spectacular, though. Which, <laughs> stunt-tacular, um, it's called. Uh, well, I'm, I'm always happy about a good stunt-tacular. Yeah. So it was pretty amazing, though. Not the stunt-tacular. <laughs> it was so cool. I want to get back cool. to business, yeah. It was so cool. It was, dare I say... Truly magical. So, so, so here's the thing: you as you as you approach, they they really jip you. They're really jerks. They spread the Wizarding World of Harry Potter out into two separate parks, so you have to have pass to two separate parks. You can't you can't just have a pass to the one park that has the Wizarding World. But at least you can see the Murder She Wrote house, or exactly, like they have that. a whole bunch of dumb stuff like that. There really isn't anything to draw you to either park anymore. Not in my opinion. There's there's nothing worth going for. They have all these cool properties that could make all these cool rides. Uh, the MonsterVerse and Kong and all that stuff. They don't do much with that. They have Jurassic Park. All their Jurassic Park stuff is just like roller coasters. It's just so stupid. My theory when you told me about it was that they must have had some kind of financial shakeup, maybe around the time that everybody did, like 2006, 2007. Because the fact that they're still doing early Audie stuff like a Jason Bourne stunt spectacular. Yeah. It just feels, it just feels like the park hasn't had any growth since like, like it's just, it's trapped in Amber, much like a fly in Jurassic park beyond of course, Harry Potter, which is the money, the gravy train. Yeah. Well, Harry Potter is like, it is the full deal. So as you approach it, you, you go by a Grimwald place and none of it's like labeled or anything. You just have to wreck it. You either recognize it or you don't. Um, but you go by Grimwald Place, and if you pay attention and you're looking, occasionally a creature will poke his head out the, like from behind a curtain. But if you don't know what Grimwald Place looks like, you just you go by. What are these random buildings doing here? And then and then there's the night bus, and there's King's Cross Station, and then there's this like brick wall, and you see people kind of like weaving in and out of it, and but not if you're they're early in the first in the morning. You just have no idea. But if you walk through the brick wall, as you go inside, as you step towards it, you hear it makes the, they have a sound effect going that makes the turning. Yeah. Yeah. And then you walk out and then suddenly you're in Diagon Alley. Nice. And. How do they manage that? Sorry. 
it's it's amazing. It's wow. you're just in there, and and wizarding or uh, we Weasley's wizarding wheezes is right to your right, and the leaky cauldrons on your left, and straight ahead is Gringotts, and look like it does in the movie. It looks just like it does in the movies. You're awesome. you're in Diagon Alley. It's it's really cool. Do they sell stuff in? Yep, Weasley's you go into wheezes? you can go into the shops and buy things. You can huh. get your birdie bots every flavor beans. You can get the Player cards with frogs. Yep. Yep. If it's in the movies, they make it. You can drink butter beer. You can um, How is butter beer? It's sweet. It's kind of butterscotchy but nicer than butterscotch. Huh. It's it's nice. And it's super refreshing on a on a hot day. This is really cool. Pumpkin juice is also good. And they make it frozen. They make like frozen butter butter beer. So it's sort of like a slushy. And then you can like you can weave through Diagon Alley and go into any number of shops and get every shop has different things in it. And there are some things that you can get in multiple places, but every single shop has at least a handful of things that are unique to that shop. It's it's really cool. You can eat lunch at the or dinner or breakfast at the Leaky Cauldron. The dragon on top of Gringotts breathes out fire at random times. You can go down into Nocturne Alley. It's super dark and creepy, and it's a little shop down there too. And well, well it's what's the name of the shop? F- Flor- Flourish and Blots or something. I don't know. And they sell a bunch of darker magic type things down there. But if you go to Ollivander, well, and so then then there are like in Diagon Alley, there's a, one ride, and it's Green Guts, and it's this like they call it 4D. You wear 3D glasses. But you actually move through space, but you're interacting with some 3D screens, and you also have like bursts of air and flames integrated and fire and heat coming at you, and you're basically on a roller coaster ride, but in inside in the caverns of Gringotts, and Harry and Ron and Hermione show up, and Voldemort and Bellatrix Lestrange show up, and dragons chase you, and it's really it's immersive and cool and they've got they managed to keep it really cool i have no idea how they how they do this it's outside but they keep it it's like cold hmm. like that, that would help they probably have real magic i mean that's the only answer i think they don't it's not like they have misters but and you can't find like ducks or vents or anything where they're just like oh. continually pump, pumping cold air hmm. but They've got something going on because it's like 90 something degrees and it's cool and it's probably really what, neat. Probably whatever it is, is very expensive. Yeah. Yeah. Well, knowing what I paid for it and knowing that the thousands of people around me all paid the same, they're you know, making their money. they're making their money, but yeah, they have performances in Diagon Alley where they have like a telling of the story of Beetle the Bard and stuff like that with crowds, you that can hang out and stuff and that's all cool and then you get out from there and you go to king's cross station and you walk through platform nine and three quarters and if you take a picture or a video from the right angle you can get somebody running running through the column and that's pretty fun and then you get on the hogwarts express and it's really there and it's the hogwarts express and you get into a little cabin smaller than the movies but you go all the way over to hogsmeade and Hogsmeade is Hogsmeade, and it has all this things out of the movies, and I mean, and everything like the chimneys are crooked, and just everything is 
just like topsy turvy. It's straight out of the movies, and and then they have Hogwarts Castle, and the Hogwarts ride is really really cool. And standing in line, walking through, like in Gringotts, your line takes you through. You know, you have to deal with animatronic paintings, or no, you get the paintings in in Hogwarts. Hogwarts. Yeah, in Gringotts, you get the goblins. Oh, okay, right. Um, and stuff like that. The the Sorting Hat talks to you as you go by it in Hogwarts, and it's just cool. Like you don't mind waiting in line. If you have an express pass, like we had, you get to kind of skip the lines and go through, and then you feel kind of gypped. Like maybe we should go through the normal line because it'd just be cool to to meander through Hogwarts. That ride's really cool. I thought the coolest ride of all was actually Hagrid's ride. It's hard to explain. It's it's actually. The only one that's just straight up a roller coaster. I mean, they have a they have a kids roller coaster ride, but like a little kids one. But you're on a a bike, and it just feels like you're with Hagrid. It's designed to feel like you're with Hagrid, and he's talking to you. And it does these things where it's like going really fast, and slams on the brakes and slows, and he starts talking to you about this little creature over here, which is some animatronic magical creature that caught his eye that he thinks is really that Hagrid would think is really cool, and then it shoots off again and. It's just super fun. And if you go to Ollivander's, you can have a wand choose you. And the wand interacts with the park. Ollivander's is in Diagon Alley. The wand interacts with the park. So you can perform spells in random parts of the park. And water will shoot out of a fountain or random nice. things will happen. Can you use like the... Um, Lights will turn on. Crucio or Avada Kedavra to advance yourself in line at places. <laughs> if only. <laughs> If only. I'm sure it's been tried. Yeah, I bet. I wonder what the worst injury that's ever been done with the Harry Potter wand is. So they have every wand of every character who's ever had a wand in a movie. You can pick that out yourself. They also have uh, a handful of wands that are in the movies that can make you feel like you got your own unique wand. Which is what you have. Which is what I have. My son got Dumbledore's wand from... uh, Fantastic Beast movies, not the Elder yeah. Wand, but the one he had before it. Which strangely and, is the only part of the Harry Potter franchise that your son actually likes is Fantastic Beast colon Crimes of Grindelwald. <laughs> this trip was yeah. all in celebration of that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he was like, oh, Harry Potter so stupid. And then he watched the Grindelwald movie and was like, oh, wow, but this is cool. Yeah, yeah, you got it. He was Do they so try to pretend when- that series doesn't exist? Universal Studios, pretty, pretty much, yeah. Yeah. Well, you got Jude Law's wand, so yeah, they have they so they'll sell wands and stuff from that, but the, you're not finding a lot of fantastic. You're not finding Fantastic Beasts paraphernalia. You, there are no Fantastic Beasts rides. Been making another movie. Yeah. Yeah. They're, yeah. They're, Newt's command through. Newt's commander doesn't show up anywhere. Grindelwald, young Dumbledore, and none of those characters are there. They've got Michael Gambone. They've got. Harry, Ron, and Hermione. They've got Voldemort and Bellatrix Lestrange. They all show up in different places. As played by... So so is... Uh, yeah, it's Ray, the actors. Ray Fiennes and Helen yes. Bonham Carter. They're all getting checks for this. Yep. Do they make, do they make it scary when he shows up, Voldemort? Uh, I think so. I mean, as scary as they can make it on a ride that's supposed to be fun. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, the really cool one... The really cool one is, is actually Hogwarts, and he do, he doesn't show up there. But... Hogwarts is more like the, the the horror ride, more than Gringotts, I would say. Gringotts, it's like kind of more thrilling. 
you're on the cart flying around and dragons are chasing you and Voldemort shows up at diff- with Bellatrix is strange at different turns and shoots a curse at you and you jerk away and that's kind nice. of it. But at Hogwarts, you basically travel the entire grounds of Hogwarts and on a broom. You're flying on a broom and so you're like chased by dragons there and but then you go up and the Dementors come and it gets really cold and it's integrated with animatronic stuff and the spiders in the Forbidden Forest and basically anything that could give you a jump scare from the movies, that's where it is. And that's that's pretty fun. The Malfoy's in it too. You race him. It's cool. Nice. Well, how many cups of butterbeer out of seven do you give to the magical wizarding world of Harry Potter at Universal Studios theme park in Orlando, Florida? Eight mugs of butterbeer out of seven. Eight out of seven. So it was like a Whoa. a full win. Either that or Jake doesn't know how to count. <laughs> it was terrible. You decide. Eight out of seven. <laughs> Jake thinks it's eight. One, two, three. <laughs> <laughs> well, we all know that's why seven was afraid of, or no. Nine. Nine was afraid of seven. No, ten was afraid of seven. Ten seven, was afraid eight, of nine. seven, yeah. Because seven, eight, nine, yeah. Yeah. Well, folks, we actually are, I think, excited to talk about Hal's Moving Castle. Yeah, we are. And this should probably good. be like... By well, this is good because there's actually not a, not a whole lot of context, actually. Well, uh, just, let's see. I, I don't know. I mean, we'll see about the paywall. I mean, uh, I don't know. All right. Let's, let's talk about Hal's Moving Castle, the book. And uh, who better to talk about it than our contextual Texan, Brandon Chastine. He's from Texas. He provides context on things. That's why we call him the contextual Texan. Boy, yeah. I need to brush up on my shtick. You sure do. I don't. I don't even remember it. Eight stars, Nathan. Eight. Eight and that's stars. I really do think eight is zero. Wow. Well, it's an asterisk, and if you hit command, an eight or control eight or shift eight, which is a star. Yeah. Which really means that I give you a. You gave me one star. If you I give, give me you eight, lots of stars, Nathan, I give you. 10 out of 10 stars. You're the best. Okay. Well, speaking of best, you're the best person at giving context for Diana Wynne-Jones, immortal classic, Howl's Moving Castle, a book that arguably most people know because Hayao Miyazaki made a movie out of it, even though the movie is one of Miyazaki's worst, in my humble opinion. But Yeah, he, d- he doesn't really capture what's magical about Howl's Moving Castle. But No, it seems like he just maybe didn't understand it at all. It looks like we're getting more Hogwarts information here. There's some sort of map. Looks a little bit. So this is the map. The map Sorry, I just thought this was cool. This is the map of Diagon Alley and all of the different spells you can do at all the different places. That's awesome. That's and pretty cool. We flip it over and this is the map of Hogsmeade and all the different spells you can do at all the different places. It comes with your wand. Pretty high quality stuff they're doing there. Yeah. Huh? Yeah, they make you pay for it. I bet they do. Well, but We're going to do those. We're in a similar situation. We don't take a whole lot of trips. But for my kids' 18th graduation, I'm going to take them on a trip. So Alyssa is the first one, and we're trying to decide what to do. What's does awesome. she like narrowed it down? She has does a she... couple places. Well, we both really like like nice restaurants. Mm-hmm. So we got a couple options. We may either go up to Chicago. Her dream would be to go to Mexico City, mm-hmm. but I don't know. We'll see. There's a place down there that we would like to go to. Ian right now thinks we're going to go to the Amazon rainforest for his <laughs> for his trip. 
That's that awesome. That guy is whimsical. <laughs> we don't we yeah, we don't have a magical Michigan home to go to in the summer. So you're you're yeah. you're you should probably take your kids to France. Yeah, they, even they, though weirdly they, enough, we have managed to become best friends with pretty much every family that goes up to that Michigan house. <laughs> well, yeah. it's a very select group, Brandon. Yeah, I'm, I'm also good friends with all those people, but you 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 don't just get an invite. There's to no that. bitterness here. No, no, no. Speaking of bitterness, I'll tell you what is bitter. There, there really is no bitterness here. Just in case someone's listening and no, thinks it might be. Uh, speaking of. And Brandon was actually flipping Jake off yeah. as, as he said that. Uh, but speaking of bitterness, it's bitter when you get to the end of How's Moving Castle because there's no more book to read and you've been really enjoying it. And there are well, no more there... books in that world. What a cool world. There, there are, are actually, actually two more yeah. books in that world because my wife read them and well, we'll really have... fell in love with this Well, do tell. Yeah, she, she, she read, I don't know what they're called. Castle in the Sky is the second one, which yeah. I've not re- I've not read anything by Diana Wynne Jones besides this book. So but. she loved them, yeah. Castle in the Air, and then also House of Many Ways. So there are three in this series, and then there's a whole another series that she also read that I forget the name of as well. Like Christomancy or something. Yeah, she read the Christomancy series. Wow, Nathan, maybe you should be doing context. I, that's I. I looked at her Wikipedia page once. Yeah. I, I'd like to read other books by her. That's why I did. So she's really good. Anna said that. They're all really good, but they get very dark. And so parents need to use their discretion when letting their kids read more in the series. Mm-hmm. Apparently, like in Crestomancy, some of the main characters get turned into wooden puppets. And they get put in like a marionette show where one of the puppets beats a little baby to death. Mm-hmm. Well, so it's a puppet go. baby. It's not a real baby. So that doesn't happen. But still, the, the show itself is just kind of dark. And there are things like that they just need to know before throwing all of these books in front of your kids. But that's in the Crestomancy. Yeah, that's the Crestomancy series. There's really nothing except for some witchcrafty sort of stuff in Howl's Moving Castle. Like you have Calcifer the Fire Demon. Played by Billy Crystal. Oh. Yeah, yeah I know. <laughs> Here's really, a curse. May your bacon be burned. That was one of the biggest disappointments in that movie is because the Calcifer in the movie is nothing like what I imagined Calcifer to be. I really yeah. like Calcifer in the book. I mean, he's yeah. like, yeah. Calcifer is kind of the bomb in the book. So, yeah, that, that movie just, I love Miyazaki. They tried to make him but, cute. Yeah. There's that Japanese cuteness to it, and it doesn't work with Calcifer. I mean, Calcifer in the book is kind of insecure. He's he's cute in a certain, like, he's a little bit like Howl or like But when she first sees him, so he's like, he's got a demonic looking face. Like, yeah, he's, he's the a teeth of fire and all that stuff, so. He's a fire demon. Well, he's actually Well, he's not. Star. He's a fallen yeah. star. Yeah. And that's actually. Which is what fire demons I are. I can't pass up an opportunity to read a poem so i'm going to start us off by reading the poem that that's all based off of can you pull your microphone just a a little bit closer there brandon john dunn i'm going to read a poem is that better yeah that's good that's great okay now it's probably too close and all your peas and stuff will start popping catch a falling star and is that better in your pocket i think that's good never let it fade away hey now you're an all-star get your game star that's what it's based on you're right go ahead no, I don't want to now. <laughs> this is Song, Go and Catch a Falling Star by John Dunn. Hey, he's a good poet. Yeah, he's fine. <laughs> Go and catch a falling star. Get with child a mandrake root. Tell me where all past years are or who cleft the devil's foot. Teach me to hear mermaids singing or to keep off envy stinging and find what wind serves to advance an honest mind. If thou beest born to strange sights, things invisible to see, ride ten thousand days and nights till age snow-white hairs on thee. Thou, when thou returnst, wilt tell me, 
All strange wonders what befell thee, and swear, nowhere lives a woman true and fair. If thou find'st one, let me know. Such a pilgrimage were sweet, yet do not, I would not go. Though at next door we might meet, though she were true when you met her, at last, till you write your letter, yet she will be false, ere I come to two or three. That's the poem. <laughs> there you go. That's that's in the book, isn't it? The first part. I mean, that's the whole mystery that the witch keeps sing, uh, sending to him. Right. right. And once these things come true, bit by bit, then finally he will belong to her. Right. And so uh, this whole book is interlaced with some pretty heavy references to things. You have John Donne. There are allusions to Rivendell, right, with the last homely house. There are significant references to Hamlet also to King Arthur and just other things like that. So this book is actually pretty thickly interlaced with these cross allusions. And part of the reason is because the person who wrote them, Diana Wynne-Jones, I'm guessing that's how you say her name, right, Nathan? I think so. Diana Wynne-Dixie. She actually got started as a writer fairly late. So she studied English at St. Anne's College in Oxford. There's not a whole lot to say about her. I looked at some interviews and stuff, and so I have some quotes and things to read. Actually, I have one thing to end on, which I thought was kind of fun, but both of her parents were teachers. One significant thing happened that during the war, so she would have been born, let's see, in 1934. Lewis would have been alive and writing at that time, kind of later in his career. In fact, one of the interviews I saw said that she regretted that her parents didn't have her read the Chronicles of Narnia because they were actually being published while she was a young girl. Mm. So she lived while these things were coming out, but her family wasn't big into children's books. And so she didn't actually discover children's literature until later when she was studying at St. Anne's College in Oxford. She actually, one of the neat things about it is she got to attend lectures by both Lewis and Tolkien at Oxford before she graduated. And then she married a scholar of medieval literature. His name was John Burrow, and they had three sons. And really, so... What happened is that during the 60s, the way she puts it, is to mostly to keep her sanity. She started to tell her children some stories, and then she also began to write. And her first book she wrote, was, wasn't it this one? Do you know, that's Nathan? A, that's a fantastic question. I think maybe you're right, but I will double check here. No, sorry. It was Her first book was a novel published by Macmillan in 1970. It was for adults. But anyways... So she was a fairly late writer. She was born in, in 34, didn't start writing really until the late 60s, and then wasn't really published until the early 70s, which would have put her in her mid-30s. So that would, um, I'm just trying to do the math in my head, that would mean she attended lectures by Lewis and Tolkien when she was in, like in the 50s, I guess? Yeah, mid fifties. 56, so she was like 22 at the okay, time. that makes sense. Yeah, which is neat. I wish I could have attended lectures by Lewis and Tolkien. I wish I could have too. Yeah. This particular book wasn't published until 1986. We were born. All of us were born when this book came out. We were born. All of us were wasn't born. Wasn't that great? One, so, an important fact about this book, just to put it in to just some context for it, because that's what I do. Yeah. yeah mm -hmm. Got to ex explain what I do, I guess. It was a runner-up for a fairly prestigious award, but then kind of fell into obscurity for a long time. And then there was this award called the Phoenix Award, which recognizes one English-language children's book published 20 years earlier, that did not win a major literary award when it was published. Hmm. So it's kind of a cool little award that helps bring some things out of obscurity. And in 2004, she won that award. The Phoenix, that is a really neat idea for an awards body. Or 2006, actually, sorry. I so like what, that idea. Just the idea of a Phoenix Award or of a, we're going to find a neglected classic and 
shine publicity and love on it is a pretty cool idea for an award for an organization for whatever yeah i like that yeah and so it helped bring her book kind of out of obscurity and then most people probably if they've heard of this before know of it because the other thing that happened was when did the movie come out movie would have been let's see i think it was in 2004 it was adapted into an animated film so she got the animated film then the phoenix award came out a couple years later maybe she got it because of how's moving castle the movie maybe that's why they thought of it yeah there's there's no two ways about it the animated film is really what made people pay attention to this book yeah for better or worse i think for worse because it kind of changes the storyline pretty significantly yeah i mean i'm glad people go back to the book but i wish they didn't have to do it by way of the movie yeah it was nominated for the Academy Award. It was by the prestigious studio Ghibli. And so that, I mean, that's like the Pixar of Japan, right? Well, and so, Miyazaki, who was just coming off of Spirited Away, which is many by many people would say his masterpiece, and it is just one of the masterpieces of animation. And so expectations could not have been higher. And I sort of just got the Academy Award because, or, or got nominated because it had, of course, it's the, the new thing from the Spirited Away guy. But yeah. I don't think it's... I don't think it comes close. But Studio Ghibli is worth giving time to. I know for a long time I just thought it was another anime sort of thing and not really worth watching. But Ghibli, his, he does good stuff. I think we've talked about him before. You guys for sure have on Sanity of the Movies. Yeah, absolutely. My Neighbor um, Totoro. We can listen to our episode on that. Great movie, yeah. Mm-hmm. But anyways, so that's kind of what drug it out of obscurity. But she never... So her career, she... Had some prestige, right? I think a few of the Studio Ghibli films are actually based on her books. Is that right? Well, they just released one not too long ago, directed by Miyazaki's son called Earwig and the yeah the Witch, which but did not see. look very good. Yeah. My, my impression of her is that she's one of those people who is pretty popular and influential in fantasy circles. She was good friends with Neil Gaiman. He talks about how much he loved her. He was actually at her deathbed. You know, well, yeah, actually, that's what I had pulled up here is his obituary from her, yeah. of her. Did you read that? Yeah, it's 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 fantastic. It's pretty good. I thought it'd be worth reading. Yeah, yeah, it would. Just since she had a fairly... So one thing to just note about her is outside of Jane Austen, she had her... I don't know that we've had another writer where there's just not a whole lot to say about her life. Mm-hmm. Like she was a housewife and then she became a writer. Right. And she wrote these books. And if you want to know about her, you can go and read these books. You can read some interviews. She gave some fun interviews. I've got a few things to read from her. Well, it's good to know because she, she feels like a housewife who became a writer, which isn't, yeah. isn't an insult. I just mean she's, she's very aware of familial dynamics and kind of sisters. And and the realities, I think, of her characters. She, she doesn't seem to have too much of a liberal agenda with making like gender equality, especially like in this book, Sophie's Fairly Feminine. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Hal is fairly, I mean, he's like every narcissistic male you've ever run into. She gives a fairly detached, full of himself, able to be, though, brave when he's finally kicked in the pants and made to do it, right? Yeah, it doesn't, there doesn't seem to be much of an agenda here. She has that sort of a Jane Austen-esque agenda, I would say. She's lightly ironic about all of, all of her characters are sort of yeah. rats. But. And then the end of this book is just, it's really good. She knocks that out of the park. But so here's one thing that I saw. So I started with these illusions. And one thing I think she was able to do with her books is that since she was a housewife who was kind of writing just to keep her sanity, that's just the way she put it. And she really wasn't looking to become like um, a household name, right? And she never got that success either. So she never had to deal with that. 
I mean, some moderate success, especially later in her life, but she died in 2011. So really, when Howl's Moving Castle became extremely famous, she only got to spend like five years with that fame before she Mm -hmm. died. So she kind of got to do whatever she wanted to with her books. Reminds me a little bit of like Ursula K. Le Guin or somebody like that. Yeah. And so here, this one interviewer asked her, one of the criticisms for your books is that you've created a fairly limited audience for yourselves because your ideas are so complex. And because you assume your reader has had certain cultural and literary experiences before coming to your books, right? So that someone would see the John Donne and know that that's John Donne. And I think that's fairly accurate. How's Moving Castle feels, even though it's very easy to read and it feels kind of light, it also at the same time somehow feels dense as well. There's a lot of iceberg under the tip of the water. Yeah. I don't know if you guys had that experience with it, but it seems like there's more going on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, she says, this is ridiculous. I mean, wholly ridiculous. It never did any child any harm to have something that was a tiny bit above them anyway. And I claim that anyone who can follow Doctor Who can follow absolutely anything. And children are so good at doing this now, and children are used to using their brains. And so she says, do you un- we underestimate kids? She says, yes, I think so. Every time, I really do. Kids can do anything, get anywhere, understand anything, provided they've got sufficient curiosity and the motives. Mm-hmm. So, are you celebrating? Are you watching the Olympics over there, Nathan? <laughs> I thought I was going to be interrupted. Sorry. Oh, I thought you were cheering on Team USA. <laughs> I did not. I know what everyone. Simone Biles is going to do tonight because the internet will not let you get away with wanting to watch it on NBC later. They just will tell you. Yeah. Anyways. She gets. She What's gets she bronze. doing tonight? What? What's she doing tonight? She decided to come out of retirement and do the not the what is it she does the beam the beam I think I don't know you'll have to watch it if you watch those sorts of things. Yeah. Anyway, speaking of Biles, nobody has bile towards Diana Wynne Jones because she's a good author. Yeah. So anyways, so I thought that was a quote that kind of shows you what she's about. She doesn't speak down to, she's not trying to speak down to children, but she's still writing to children. That reminds me of C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis said very similar things that we always speak down to children. And we've really hit books hard in this podcast for being a children's book that kind of speaks down to children, right? You, yeah. In a strange way, even I have mixed feelings about The Little Prince, right? It, it takes that and then just twists it and turns mm-hmm. it on its head and gets really strange things out of it where, yeah. I don't have mixed down. feelings about the little prince. Yeah, I, well, yeah, I know. Uh, yeah, I was <laughs> going to say, my, my feeling is basically unmixed animosity. Yeah. Yep, I hate that book. Yeah. And so, but the, the point being, you can either be condescending or you can be almost like, I'm a part of this secret weird world of children. Like that movie about J.M. Barry with Johnny Depp tried to do the same thing. Yes, 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 I remember that. You know, yeah. Where it almost makes it creepy. Mm-hmm. Like, I know I know all about childhood, and I'm going to join your little childhood world. I'm the only yes. adult that does. Look at me. I'm a, you know. We'll have to do J.M. Barry one of these days, because I would argue Peter Pan actually successfully leans into that creepiness and plays with it. Yeah, yeah I'm not a, I'm not criticizing J.M. Barry there. I'm criticizing that movie. Yeah, no, that movie sucks. And one part of the mistake was probably having Johnny Depp play him, but... Yeah, you needed um, somebody who could bring more to just it. Cre- he's just creepy. Yeah. Anyways, she, on the other hand, kind of strikes that balance where she's not trying to speak down to children. She assumes that they can rise to the level of this, and then they're not, they're not going to be thrown by having a John Dunn poem thrown in there, right? Mm-hmm. But that they're going to have fun. And I have firsthand experience that that's the case because my son Jack read this book, and he absolutely loved it. Yeah. So he, he tore through it, and he thought it was wonderful. So 
And not only him, but also Anna, my wife, read it, and she then went on to read the rest of the series. So she's doing something right. She's speaking to adults and children at the same time, which, again, to quote C.S. Lewis, is what a good children's book should do. Peter read it at 11 or 12, and then I read it to all the kids, and they loved it. Yeah. So she, and I think that that quote by C.S. Lewis, was just that idea by C.S. Lewis, that a children's book should work on the level of children, but then also at the level of adults. Shouldn't mm-hmm. speak down to them and shouldn't speak up to adults, which is one of the problems with some of the Disney films, right? They try to throw in some winks at adults saying, oh, we know you're watching a children's movie, but guess what? Here is some toys we can throw your way. Yeah, much more a problem for DreamWorks than Pixar. But. Yeah, right. Yeah, Pixar doesn't do it, yeah. really. Like Luca was really, I liked Luca. Um, yeah, Luca was just fine. I, I mean, would, I feel better about it when it's John Dunn that's the, the thing. Writing than- Luca? What's that? You wish when, John Dunn had written Luca. <laughs> if John Dunn had written Luca, it would have had a lot more sex in it than arguably it had. I like Luca just because I t- completely disagree with the criticisms that it's some homoerotic relationship between the boys. Yeah. So I think that he just found a way to do a sort of Jonathan and David relationship and show it in a way that was completely asexual. So here, just speaking of C.S. Lewis, here's another quote from an interview where she says exactly what I've already quoted. From all accounts, your parents didn't bother to provide you with many children's books. What children's books do you desperately wish you had been able to read as a child? Which is an interesting question from an interviewer standpoint. Mm -hmm. Oh, I do wish I had been able to read C.S. Lewis's Narnia books as a teenager. They were all getting published from the time I was 13, as it was. And I, I came upon them when my own children were quite young, and I read them aloud at bedtime with a curious double vision. On the one hand, as my adult self, and on the other, seeing and being very impressed by the reactions of my children. I learned a great deal from this, but it was not the same as reading them as a child, which actually did then tie this back to the first part of this podcast so that you can't get rid of all that stuff that Jake said. Mm -hmm. I had the same experience reading Harry Potter later on as an adult because they were being published when we were teenagers. And I kind of wished that I had found them when I was a teenager as opposed to an adult. Mm -hmm. So, and then exactly what she said, as you read them, you, you think to yourself, wow, what would this have been like if I had read them? Yeah when they were coming out so well i think water i think watership down was the big one like that for me like just that we just read like oh yeah crap, i really missed out this could have been yeah. a, an influential and informative part of my childhood but instead it wasn't because i'm an idiot yeah it could have shaped our imaginations and they would have been the better for be. it yeah we, we would have been burrowed under the ground and yeah. rabbit worn that's right i do wear we a are. rabbit costume yeah we did determine that for every podcast you're like the Harvey of this podcast. I am the Harvey. Or actually, I'm that bunny from Donnie Darko. Yeah, it is that, it's that bunny outfit we probably yeah. should point out to people. Yeah. It's terrifying. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad we're doing this over Zoom now because being in the same room with you in that p- outfit's <laughs> really hard. Truly unnerving. Yeah. Well, is. sometimes I'm in the same room with you. Like when you're trying to go to bed at night. Yeah, I'll just stand outside our windows. <laughs> just stand outside your window in my rabbit costume. It's uncomfortable. Yeah, <laughs> it's traumatized my children. I'm not a big fan of it either. <laughs> but you have to do it. I have to do it. You know, I mean, you don't have a choice. I do not have a choice. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> do you want me to read this? That'd be a really and, uh, fun thing to do someday. <laughs> dress in the Donnie Dak Tarko rabbit costume and stand outside of the Chastine's bedroom. <laughs> Just go, show up at the Chastine house. Yeah, drive up you from should... Evansville. Show up in that and. Creep up to to some window and just stand up and stare. You know, I would <laughs> like say if I was going to shot. Yeah. If 
I was going to do it to anyone, it would be you, Brandon. <laughs> Thanks, Nathan. I well, think I think. I forgive me if I do of... if I do accidentally shoot you. <laughs> I, I think if you didn't shoot me, you might actually have a sense of humor about it, which I can't say for everyone in Bloomington. There are people that might not want someone in a creepy rabbit costume to stand outside their window at night. Yeah. You'll feel really guilty if you hear the headlines that we all got murdered because some guy in a rabbit costume <laughs> came in and killed us all. I, I will feel terrible. That'll be it's my first thought. I open the door saying, hey, Nathan, that's funny. Oh, ah. <laughs> some, 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 some random one-star reviewer is going to yeah. stumble onto this and be like, I know exactly that's right, as soon what as I'm I doing. One-star. <laughs> Elizabeth was died in 14, 13. <laughs> one-star. Not 14, like I sincerely hope that a rabbit-dressed person does not stab your family to death, Brandon. <laughs> Thank you. That's I joined really Nathan. Low on the list of things that I want to happen. There's a t-shirt. I sincerely hope a rabbit doesn't But it's on the list. <laughs> I mean, if you got to go. That's one way. If your whole family has to be stabbed by someone. I don't think that getting stabbed to death by a serial killer is the way that anybody wants to go. But... <laughs> There's a t-shirt. There's somebody out there, Brandon. There is somebody out there. I really hope that happens to them. Well, there was that German. Yeah, I won't talk about the German. Yeah, let's not talk about the German, please. Um, Yeah, let's not. (sighs) Well, speaking of... Speaking of deaths, would you like me to end this by reading Neil Gaiman's (laughs) obituary of Diana Wynne-Jones? Please. Okay. Should I just read it in its entirety? It's it's not bad. I I think so. It's kind of fun because it shows you that... so. Even though she was relatively obscure, like Nathan said, she was respected and became to be respected because of these stories and others that she wrote. I mean, she has a whole list of things that she wrote. What else can we say? There's the Crestomancy books. She wrote The Crown of Del- Delmark, Dark Lord of Darkholm. <laughs> uh, Lots of... Dog's Body is one that our, our, our mutual friend Ben Solzer really loves. And I think gave me and Jake as a gift. That's one. right. I gave He's Peter... A copy, and Peter read it and loved it. Yeah. She has a book that is kind of like Stephen King's book on writing. She wrote one on cliches in fantasy fiction called The Tough Guide to Fantasyland, which apparently kind of has a cult classic following. So That'd be that, fun. Might, that might be one to pick up for people who are into books on writing. Mm-hmm. So I haven't read it, but I got to imagine that it's good and probably fun to read. She's got a nice metatextual awareness. In, in she does. She kind of... I mean, so we could talk about the sort of fantasy genre and where she is in relation to it, but I think we've touched on that in quite a few other episodes, right? Yeah, I think we... uh, So just know that she was a contemporary of Neil Gaiman, Ursula K. Le Guin, and that they both respected her, and that she was actually close friends with Neil Gaiman, who I don't know if we would recommend. We have talked about Neil Gaiman before. Actually, he wrote the introduction to Bradbury, right, when we did him. Yes, that's right. Yeah, uh, Neil Gaiman, I, was, I would sum him up by saying he is a very talented man, and he's often very perverse. You can probably find a few things that aren't that you can enjoy, but I wouldn't recommend him. But he was part of the Doctor Who revival, and mm-hmm. so lots of the fantasy world is very much indebted to Neil Gaiman. And he had a lot of respect for her, so let's read this obituary. Yeah. He's uh, got a famous quote that's often attributed to Chesterton, because yeah, it's a summary of Chesterton. It's kind of condensed Chesterton, the whole... Yeah. 
Dragon the, thing. Which early in the days of this podcast, I think we falsely attributed to Chesterton, but was actually Noel Gaiman. Pretty easy to do because you see it memed all we the time as, as a Chesterton quote. Yeah. It's the uh, fairy tales don't... What, 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 we we don't tell don't stories dragons. about dragons. Dragons are scary. We tell stories about dragons to... Because stories are scary. No, we don't tell dragons, dragons stories about dragons defeated. because dragons yeah, don't yeah. exist. We tell stories about... It's a good memorable it's quote. About, yeah, very, very memorable. It's about how dragons can about be defeated. About how you t- tell the stories so children know that they can be defeated. Yeah. Yes. Shoot the dragons, not them. Neil. We are really messing this up. Gaiman. Fairy drag, tales. Dragon. I got it. I got it. Fairy tales do not tell children that dra- the dragons exist. Children already know that dragons exist. Fairy tales tell children that dragons can be killed. Fairy tales best. are more than true, not because they tell us dragons exist, but because they can. They tell us they can be beaten. Children already know that serial killers in bunny costumes exist. I think Jake just did the Crizio course on one of us. <clears throat> doesn't work through Zoom. No, <laughs> turns out it doesn't work through Zoom. <laughs> Dang it! <laughs> Dang it! <laughs> <laughs> Darn. Well, speaking of death. You were going to read read this? this? Yeah. Yeah, 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 let's read it. I'm in the UK right now in the middle of nowhere working on Monkey, about to go offline for a few days. I don't know what Monkey is. Do you know what Monkey is? Me neither. This is Neil Gaiman talking now, not Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I came over to do three things, to give the BBC a day to promote episode four of the next season of Doctor Who, which I have written, to see Hilary Bevan Jones, a wonderful producer with whom I've been working for years about a couple of things and to see Diana Wynne-Jones. Thursday, I was interviewed about Doctor Who all day. Mostly the interviews would go like this, them. So can you tell us the title of the episode? Me, no. It was a fun, but sometimes frustrating day. Which I gotta imagine it is for the Olympians too, because I noticed when they came up to give an interview, like they would just then walk down and like give another interview almost immediately. You could see them just doing that. I read a post that Ian McKellen wrote about doing the press for Lord of the Rings, and he said you'd have an international crowd of people i think they were at con or something like that and they would just all ask like if you were a wizard what would your power like the the even the clever questions were so canned and so repetitive and you just answered the same thing over and over and over in different languages to different people he said like it's a real it's one of the real grinds of those kinds of professions it's not like those interviewers have that many interesting questions anyways i think jake pointed this out last time but and this i guess timestamps these episodes but it is frustrating how many times one of these announcers will say, look at him, look at him go. He really is in this to win gold. You're like, thanks, Sherlock. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Best he's got to be disappointed with that. He didn't meddle. Yeah. No. <laughs> you think he came into this just because he, he came to the Olympics him. to lose. He's, he's been playing he's just happy to be here. his whole life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's in this to win gold. Seriously. Wow. Thanks. My mind is blown. <laughs> okay. This is back to Neil Gaiman now. Back to Gaiman. Important. Because yeah. he's going to say, Diana's been my friend since about 1985, which would mean for me that she's been my friend since I was a little baby in the hospital. And that's not mm-hmm. true. This is Brandon talking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she showed but up. I was a, now back to Neil Gaiman. The day I was born with a wand in her hand. Yeah. Ready but to I was a fan of her since I read cares. Charmed Life. In about 1978, I think we should get a Jake voice over the entire time. <laughs> Age 17, I've loved being her friend, and I'm pretty Curse sure she rebounded. loved being my friend. 
She was the funniest, wisest, fiercest, sharpest person I've known. A witchy and, and wonderful woman. Scar. Intensely practical. Filled with opinions. Who wrote the best books about magic. Who wrote the finest and most perceptive letters. Who hated the telephone but would still talk to me on it if I called. Albeit always. Nervously. As if she expected the phone she was holding to explode. I'll also say I'll buy it just in case there's somebody out there that prefers to be pronounced that way. And so we don't get zero stars. That was Neil Gaiman. Yeah. <laughs> that's the only part that's been Neil Gaiman. <laughs> she adopted me I've when I was hunting a 24... Crux ever since. Since I was a 24-year-old writer for magazines of dubious respectability and spent the next 25... 25? 25? 25. <laughs> There's one Neil for Gaiman. you, Brad. That was Neil, that was Neil Gaiman. <laughs> Being proud of me as I made art that she liked, and sometimes I didn't. She'd tell me what she thought, and her opinions and criticism were brilliant and precise and honest, and if she said, yes... I thought you made a bit of a mess on that one. And I probably had, so what? when she really liked something, it meant the world to me. What I like about this, this is now Brandon. What I like about this obituary is it, I think it paints a pretty good picture of her. Yeah. Back to Neil Gaiman. As an author, she was astonishing. The most astonishing thing was the ease with which she'd do things, which may be the kind of thing that impresses other writers more than it does the public, who take it for granted that all writers are magicians. But those of us who have write for a living know how hard it is to do what she did. The honest, often prickly characters, the inspired, often unlikely plots, the jaw-dropping resolutions. Back to Brandon, which I agree there. This, I think that what this book has for it, and which the movie loses completely, is that last chapter. It's, it's up there with Dumbledore facing off with Voldemort in, this, in the fifth book, Order of the mm. Phoenix, right? It's just mm-hmm. a really, it's a pretty fantastic resolution. Yeah, yeah, she packs a lot into that. Back to Neil Gaiman. She's a wonderful author to read aloud, by the way, as I discovered when reading her books to my kids. Not only does she read aloud beautifully, but denouements, which she seemed baffling read aloud, are obvious and elegantly set up and constructed when read aloud. Read alone, sorry, are obvious and elegantly set up and constructed when read aloud. <laughs> That's all game, man. <laughs> he was dictating this into his phone. <laughs> <laughs> children are much more careful readers than adults, she'd say. You don't have to repeat everything for children. You do with adults because they aren't paying full attention. She dedicated her book... Hexwood to me, telling me that it was inspired by something that I'd once said about the interior sides of British woods, and I wrote a dog girl poem to thank her. Hang on, I bet I can find it. There. There's a kitten curled up in Kilkenny, was given a perfect pot of cream, and a princess asleep in a thorn-warped castle who's dreaming a perfect dream. There's a dog in Alaska who'll dance with delight on a pile of mastodon bones, but I've got a copy of Hexwood dedicated to me by Diana Wynne-Jones. There's an actress who clutches her Oscars and sobs with Proper impromptu joy. Oh, this isn't a very great poem. Can we just skip, we yeah, just we, skip this? We just fast forwarded yeah. Neil Gaiman's poem. Yeah. Gaiman, stick with the uh, fiction, not with the poetry. Elliot had you beat with his Bossom's Book of Practical Cats. <laughs> not the musical. <laughs> not the musical. How, how many That's all Gaiman. That, how many poets is that true for? Stick to something else because... Elliot, had you beat with Possum's Book of Practical Hats? <laughs> Probably most of them. <laughs> the, is that applied to? Stick to something that's not guitar. <laughs> Jimi Hendrix had you beat with his guitar. <laughs> <laughs> Stick to something that's not gym, gymnastics. Simone okay. Biles okay. has you beat. Yeah. Okay, guys. Try not Point to write any plays because there's this guy named Shakespeare. Maybe don't play <laughs> basketball because Michael Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that Space Jam 2 was pretty bad. Um... No novels for you, Brandon. Have you ever heard of Tolstoy? I know. Sorry, guys. 
I'm crying over here now. I just kind of defeated my whole hopes of having any writing career. <laughs> That's what I do. I, I like bring in arguments that defeat me. <laughs> That's my specialty. Yeah. <laughs> That's <Specialty>. pretty fair. <laughs> <laughs> You put a gun. Uh, you, you put a gun in the bullet. Yeah, and it's Jake's job to show me how I just made an argument that beats me. <laughs> you aim the gun at your foot. Jake just pulls the trigger. <laughs> He's like, "Here, let me help you there, buddy." <laughs> Let's see what the consequence is <laughs> of aiming a gun at your foot. I don't yeah. know if any of more. Yeah, let's why not? Let's read the rest of this. Yes, skip the poem. It's not as good as T.S. Eliot. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I crop up in semi-fictionalized form in a book by Diana, Deep Secret. Which okay, this is back to Brandon. One thing I found in an interview is if, if she liked to work in people she knew into her books, and then she had a niece of hers get a little bit sad because she thought she had found herself in a book, and that's the one time when actually apparently she hadn't written somebody based on this person, and so then it made her realize maybe she should stop doing that. Anyways. And she told me once that the young Crestomanche and the lives of Christopher Chant was sort of based on me too. I'm proud of both of these things, even if it does mean that people who have read Deep Secret sometimes ask whether I really ate two breakfasts while mostly asleep, and I tell them that yes, I did. So, Diana, who smoked with joy and delight and enthusiasm, got lung cancer. And so each time I would come to the UK, I'd go and have dinner with her and her husband, John, and the dinner would be cooked and accompanied by Dave Devereaux who has been helping them, and somewhere in there, I would see our mutual friend Tom Abbott as well. Each time, I'd take a few minutes at the end, and I'd make sure that I'd said to Diana anything I wanted to be sure that I'd said, because I knew I might not see her again, and unsaid things are the hardest. I'd planned to see her yesterday, Saturday, to go down to Bristol with my daughter Holly, but on Friday morning, I got a call from Dave Devereaux telling me that it was time and I should come now. I called Hillary Bevan Jones, apologized, she was very understanding, as were the other people I was meant to see, and I went to Bristol. I wrote a letter that night to a friend. I'll quote it here if you don't mind. She's at a hospice. It's beautiful there, and the staff were wonderful, helpful, and nice, and you never felt like you were bothering them, as one does at so many institutions. I saw the family outside. They warned me that Diana was very frail and changed. She was on morphine, breathing heavy and hard, as if she was fighting for every breath, and I sat by her bedside. I thought about the phrase, your last breath, as every breath felt like it could be final. But she kept breathing. I told her, you said goodbye. Her hair was whiter, and she seemed thinner, but not really changed. But it seemed less like someone was actually there, as if there was a distance between the person I'd known and the body breathing in the bed. Less of a distance than with the body, but there was a sense that felt like a certainty that she was going to open her eyes and talk again. This sleep was final, and soon the breathing would stop. I went out and sat in the wood, uh, the waiting room. <laughs> Woods. <laughs> I need my glasses. In the waiting room with Tom Abbott, and we talked about Diana, and we both cried a bit. Then I went back in with Tom, and we sat some more. I thought about Dog's body, which I have to write an introduction to and wondered what star Diana would be if she was a star. I said goodbye again. Then I went out, and Mickey, her son, went in and sat with her, and I talked to the family. I met Diana's sisters for the first time, although I had heard much about them. I spent the rest of the day with the family, and John and Diana's sister Isabel and Mickey, with whom I'd share a room at World Fantasy Con in 1988. And we had a Bristolian Chinese mill and talked about lots of things. And I told John I'd come and see him whenever I come to, came, uh, come to Bristol, and I shall. That's a weird sentence. It's hard, but I'm glad I did it. And they said that Diana was pleased that I was coming, and perhaps somehow she heard me and knew I was there. I stayed up late that night until I could talk to Amanda back in Boston about what had happened that day. And once I had talked to her, I felt better. The letter has ended by now. In the morning, I was woken up by a phone call from Dave telling me that Diana had passed away in the night. The news was out. Someone had already changed her Wikipedia page to give it a date of death. 
I posted this on Twitter. Rest in peace, Diana Wynne-Jones. You shone like a star, the funniest, wisest writer, and the finest friend. I miss you. There are some wonderful reminiscences coming in. I love this one by Emma Bull. My family traveled to Minneapolis on the same plane as Diana the time Emma is talking about. Diana used to tell me she had a travel jinx, something I only really started to believe when the plane door fell off. Wow, what? (laughs) I felt sad, but also felt lucky. Lucky that I'd known her. Lucky that I'd gone and said goodbye on the Friday and not tried to wait until the Saturday. Lucky to have had a friend like that. I do miss her very much. I have some wonderful friends, people in my life who are brilliant and people who are colorful, people who are absolutely wonderful and they make the world better for their being in it. But there was only one Diana Wynne-Jones and the world was a finer one for having her in it. And that is his obituary. A pretty good one. Aw, that's very sweet. That is sweet. Guess we can end this by saying that as sweet as that was, it also is sad to note that she was a committed atheist and pretty outspoken about it her entire life. So That's sad. But very much respected by the people in the sci-fi world who matter, or Mm -hmm. in fantasy world, I mean, who matter. So yeah. All that is background to say that we absolutely hated this book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Written by an atheist, zero stars. Zero stars. <laughs> Her worldview conflicts with mine. Zero points. Zero, zero stars. stars. One star. Right. I'm experiencing cognitive dissonance. I'm an idiot. One star. All right. Well, that's context for me, guys. <laughs> thanks, uh, largely, th- thanks largely to Neil Gaiman. <laughs> Well, Neil Gaiman's a good writer. I guess that's, that's what we should take away from this episode. And uh, also, I think he gave a pretty good picture of who she was. Fairly quiet life, but beloved to those people who knew her. Right, and beloved to the the sci-fi fantasy community, which is, I think, important. She's a she's kind of a writer's writer or a fantasist's I, fantasist. I like those writers who kind of tried to stay in the away from the limelight and just write mm-hmm. and not really try to go out and be a celebrity. So she's got that in common with Harper Lee, some other really great ones. So mm-hmm. there you have it. There you have it. I think and you see the humility come through in her writing too. But yeah, I think, I mean, it's too bad she was an atheist, but just based on Hell's Moving Castle, she has a really sweet, sober, real view of human nature. She's just, it's, it's nice what she does with Hal and Sophie and mm-hmm. the a sense of humor, but also yeah. a vivid imagination. You can definitely see the C.S. Lewis influence for sure, which it's really fascinating how much, respect and influence he has on the fantasy world despite much of their committed atheism well neil gaiman wrote a piece about that actually where he talks about reading c.s lewis and loving him as a kid and then feeling kind of betrayed when he realized the books were allegories later in his life and and not ever quite being able to read it the same way and becoming more of a tolkien man precisely because tolkien left his religion out of it from from gaiman's perspective and so there's the thing. But also Neil Gaiman talks about reading Chesterton a whole bunch and reading orthodoxy and the the essays specifically just because he loved Chesterton's voice so much. So he's a weird character. He's an interesting character. Yeah. Well, he's he's a gourmand of of talent. I mean, he he's of talent just, and mythos. Yeah, he's not going to despise yeah. Chesterton. Chesterton's the man when it comes to that stuff. So well, Updike is the same way he's got the famous quote about Lewis. So where he says going back to Lewis is like returning to a warm friend or something like that. Mm-hmm. So a lot of those atheists and perverse men for some, they it's just impossible to deny that sort of writing genius. ability. Yeah, genius. Exactly. 
Well, I feel like we have to do it all the time. We always have to read things written by atheists and say, oh, well, actually, this really gets at something that's essential and human and universal, and we cannot deny it, and we like it. Yeah. But rarely do they cross the aisle for us. So Lewis made it across that aisle, and so did Tolkien. Yeah, a lot of people will cross it for Lewis. I thought the most interesting thing about Gaiman is that he would cross it for not just for Chesterton, but for Chesterton's essays. It's probably for that pagan scene with Pan and that weirdness. That's probably why they loved him so much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and all his stuff about sodomy and the boys' school yeah. and the touch of the divine. Mm. It's basically because C.S. Lewis was a monstrous atheist. And that's the point we've always made. And that is the point we've always made. Yeah, C.S. Lewis if you've was... paid attention to us and know how to listen. Yeah, you know. the only charitable way to... It's true. Anything we've said about C.S. Lewis, yeah. Oh, that's the most charitable thing we could say. I mean, we're not not even talking about when he dressed up in that rabbit costume and stood outside Brandon's door. Stood outside Brandon's door. That was C.S. Lewis. Time traveling (laughs) C.S. Lewis. Yeah. (laughs) C.S. Lewis always swore if he could get time traveling technology, he would use it to wear a rabbit costume and stand outside the windows of his critics. Is this when we reveal that we're all time travelers and Nathan is actually C.S. Lewis? No, it's not I really think we should. Let's, uh, let's not do that. Yet. Hold off Keep on it under that for a minute. Okay, yeah. but no secret that I hate myself. So, <laughs> oh man, we're having fun. Well, for being such a short context episode, travel movies. Yeah, well, and stories. And C.S. Lewis. is kind of like the green embers of people. We hate them so much. Can we just say that C.S. Lewis and uh, what's the guy that wrote the thing about the bear and the pig and the bunny, Winnie the Pooh? A.A. <laughs> <laughs> a. Milne. <laughs> you know the thing about the bear and the pig and the bunny. Yeah, okay, sure. And the tiger. And the tiger. Can we just say that Lewis and A.A. A. Milne, and who else do, do we hate? What's the wrinkle in time lady? Oh, well. I mean, no, we actually hate her. We sorry. actually do hate her, yeah. <laughs> I don't think there's anybody else we hate. Is there? Some people might think we hated Bronte, but we liked we liked her writing. Yeah, never mind. Please. Madeline L. Engel, I think, <laughs> got the most a- real animosity of anyone that we've ever... I mean, she deserved it. She deserved it. It, <laughs> it, was, it was Charles Wallace, really. I mean, Charles Wallace is just such a thoroughly hateful creation of a character that... <sighs> anyway. And anybody whose imagination can produce that... Yeah, the fact that we were meant to look up to Charles Wallace somehow or be impressed with Charles Wallace was just not acceptable Yep, on any level, moral or artistic. Anyway, I'll tell you what else isn't acceptable. Not shouting out our patrons. Guys, how do you become a patron of this podcast? You go to patreon.com forward slash the booking and pledge to give support in any monthly amount. If you want to get a Access to all kinds of uh, behind-the-scenes content. A uh, dollar will do. Five dollars will do. If you want to be shouted out, ten dollars. If you want to be shouted out and get a free T-shirt every year, unique to the booking, twenty-five dollars. If you want to be shouted out, get a free annual awesome T-shirt and get uh, be a part of our book club and get all the books that we read in advance, personalized, signed for you by the booking crew. Fifty dollars a month. And if you want to choose one of our books while getting copies of all of our books, while getting a t-shirt and a donor shout out, you can get that for the low, low price of $100 a month. It's true. 
It's all true. Patreon.com forward slash the bookening. And the kinds of people that might want to pay at least $10, well, I'll tell you who they are. And you guys can say what flavor of Icy Pop you think this, these individuals would like. Uh, we've got Ron, <coughs> Robert and Rhonda the Lovebirds. A cherry. <laughs> the Artful Anthony Dodger. Strawberry. Are there strawberry Icy Pops? Yeah, there are. Mm-hmm. They, they make a lot of flavors these days. It's not yeah. like when we were kids. Uh, Little Anthony Cigar Store. These are Icy Pops that you want us to do or Popsicles? Can we just do Popsicles? No. Coconut. It's going to um, run out real fast. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they all like cherry. I mean, I mean, yeah, you can't go wrong with cherry. I, d- I didn't say they had to be unique flavors of Icy Pop. Fine, you can do Popsicles. No, I'm doing Icy Pop. You can't go back on your word. <laughs> It is written in the stone table of booking. <laughs> There's yet deeper magic. Of book, book, Booktonia. I don't know. What's our magical world called? Well, we, we did have a name for it. It was Compostia. Compostia. <laughs> That's from a rejected Phil script that nobody knows about. But, uh, sure, the booking. Nobody needs to know about that. Reject- we should do a reading of it for, for Sound of, San- yes. San- of Sanity patrons. We will. You know, the kinds of things that get rejected. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) As we work through. Everyone will be deeply disappointed. Why don't we call the bookings Magical World Compostia, though? Because we really think all books should just be turned to compost. (laughs) That's the best use. Deep down, that's our position. Yeah, no, we we hate. We're just, yeah. C.S. Lewis is the Lord of Compostia. Got there by traveling through a wardrobe. Yeah, that wardrobe now is compost. Jimmy Beam and Little Annie Oakley. Grape. Good choice. <laughs> <laughs> Brandon's going to go down a, a box of ice pops. Yeah. Lily of the Valley. Lemon lime. Ooh, good one. Andrew and Esther the Lovebirds. Uh, pina colada. Do they make pina colada icy pops? If they make coconut ones, they make pina colada. Do you like pina colada? No. Getting caught in the rain. Up, caught in the rain. The Keith Master? Orange. (laughs) (laughs) I'm really enjoying this. I don't know why. David's Mighty Men Trucking. Pineapple. John and Jill and Little Baby Max. Blue Raspberry. Jay and Katie who are cold and love cheese and also C.S. Lewis, including Toy Up Faces. Tangerine. Fairy Princess of Wonder and Happiness, Mother Beth. Tangerines. Banana. Council Prime Adam. Uh, Clementine. Nathan, not me. Citrus Punch. <laughs> Yay. Ryan the Red Avenger and Judith of the Ladies of Justice. Lime. DJ Sammy G. Summer Punch. Denny and <laughs> Tiberius. Sour Apple. Sorry, I said Denny. Benny and Danny Tiberius. Eric and Catherine from Yon Window Breaks. Tropical Punch. <laughs> Professor and Lady X. Rum Punch. Lavender's green, Dylan Dylan. Lavender's blue. Lavender's green, Dylan Dylan. I love you too. Is it my turn? Yes. Oh, man. Berry punch. I was trying to give him something green, but that's too hard. Citrus punch. We've already given that one out, but let's just do that. Noah Constrictor. Fruit punch. Maritip. Grape. Have we said grape? Yeah. She's still grape. Grumpy Grape. The Fair and Fragrant Maiden Chloe. Hawaiian Punch. Mm. Anthony, who is cold and hates life, liberty, and the pursuit of cheese. I don't know. Mango. 
Jujutsu Jeffrey, the Texas Ranger. Raspberry. I feel like we're just naming fruits now. So. <laughs> Rachel. Rachel. Red Apple. Midnight Ninja Ellen. Lemonade. Return That's of the Jedediah. Limeade. Jay of Rack and Ruin. Blood Orange. Timothy the Rider at Dawn. I don't know. What's another Peach. Flavor? Peach? Peach, sure. Peach. This is podcasting. <laughs> this is amazing. Eric and Kate, the Camp Champ Kings, who are warm and love bees. Watermelon. Maddie, Maddie, Matt, man. That's a good one. Have we said strawberry yet? Yep. It's <laughs> like <laughs> number two or three, again. I think. It was number two. I'm Sweet Jam of Sunshine. Cherry Lime. Tyler, the keeper of eternal darkness, and Laura, the keeper of eternal light. Root beer. Cold steel, Cody. Kiwi strawberry. Streeps, kiwi strawberry. Jacqueline, the librarian, barbarian. Uh, I don't know, man. Have I ever, either one of you guys said the blue color yet? Because that's my favorite. Yeah, he said blue raspberry. Blue raspberry. Sure. Let's say it again. Blue raspberry. I've saxophone Alex. Go back on what I've. Orange pineapple. The other saxophone Alex and dubstep Danny. What did he say? Orange pineapple? Strawberry pineapple. We just make some things now. <laughs> Ryan, the terror of Texas, and Eric of the cream and crimson, who no longer are stuck in the cold, but please send cheese. Strawberry lemonade. Mm, that's okay. What's oh, right. Yeah. Before? Sorry. Yeah. Um, I was <laughs> I waiting for Brandon for some reason. Uh, ben Solo and Kylo Ren. Watermelon sugar. <laughs> Watermelon sugar. Hi. John, the cosmic king of chaos. Raspberry lemonade. Matthew, the mind flayer. Mango lemonade. <laughs> <laughs> That's the biggest laugh anyone's probably ever gotten from saying mango lemonade. Annie, are you okay? Get your gun. Cherry limeade. Flight of the Valerie. Kiwi. Thor Ragnar Josh. Green apple watermelon. Steven, Matt, Matt, Matt. Avocado lime. Ooh, <laughs> gross. That's not a real flavor of Icy Pop, is it? Not Icy <laughs> no. Pop. It is a flavor of a popsicle, though. Oh, gross. You, you want to know something weird? I was at the... The store last night, and they have some Oliver. Oliver's a winery, is a winery in Bloomington, and did some Oliver winery wines, and they had a sweet red lime wine. Was it good? I bought it. I haven't haven't tried it. Guess we'll find out soon, though. Sweet red lime wine. If you crack it open and down it in the car. I mean, Oliver's wines are cheap. They're not good. You know, they're like six six dollars for a bottle or something stupid like that. But they're. I don't know. They're not, I mean, they're, not, they're not bad. They're not bad. It's sort of like getting Mike's or White Claw or, you know, something. COVID. <laughs> wow. So it's like a, you, you get an Oliver wine, you, you might as well get a Angry Orchard or Mike's Hard Lemonade or Smirnoff Ice Correct. or something like that. It's kind of like that. What was the flavor again? Sweet Red Lime. Sweet Man, Red look Lime. Look at the wine snob over here. He did buy the sweet red lime Oliver wine. I mean, for six dollars and a lot of wine at Walmart. <laughs> Come on, man! I wonder All what right. this will pair with. <laughs> if that's being snobby, I don't, I don't know what your standards are. <laughs> Brendan's like you have acknowledged. Brendan's standard is if you acknowledge that a six dollar wine is less than the perfect wine, then, then you're a snob. Then you're a snob. <laughs> That's right. 
And just like if you acknowledge that your poetry is not TSL, why try? Why try? Yeah, why try? I work with extremes, guys. Well, that's the reason why our podcast is the best podcast that anyone does because Brandon would refuse to appear on it unless that was the case. That's right. And why do podcasting unless you're the booking? Yeah, well, there's a t shirt. Yeah, jinx. Did I say Steven dot dot dot? I don't know. Well, Steven dot dot dot. Strawberry frozen yogurt. Peglodon. Mm. Watermelon lemonade. I think I said Flight of the Valerie and Thor Josh, but if I didn't, Flight of the Valerie and Thor Josh. Not that there are a couple. Uh, cherry lime. I'm sure that's got some. I already did that. Black cherry. Cr- Christopher the Flower Hulk. Uh, van- vanilla. Lady of the Crystal Lake. Butterbeer. Huh. Ooh. 10 out of 10 would try. Ian the Death of Mirian, Lord of Death. Red Hot. Wouldn't that be uh, good? Like a hot cinnamon? I think so. Hot cinnamon, Icy Pop? Yeah. Yeah, I think that would be fantastic. I'm surprised somebody hasn't done a combo in that style, at least. Like spicy, spicy hot? Yeah, I or, bet somebody spicy, has. Uh, um, spicy Pop, I should say. A Spicy Pop would be the name of it. I'm a genius. A million dollars for me. Let's go on Shark Tank. A man in possession of an Emily is in want of nothing. Uh, mango chili. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Emily Nightshade, Nightshade, the haunter of dreams. Uh, white cherry. All about the Benjamin, baby. Fudge sickle. <laughs> that's, not a, that's not an icy pop, but whatever. <laughs> Brandon made a sad little... Change category. He said fudge sickle. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, I can't believe I did that. Well, folks, it's been a journey. We started at, at the Universal Studios Harry Potter capitalist machine and traveled through the life of Diana Wynne-Jones all the way through the death, the very touching death of Diana Wynne-Jones and through some Icy Pop flavors. So we told you what we were going to do. We did it. And that's what we just did, which is what you're supposed to do in any kind of public speaking. So you guys got any more thoughts before we say adieu? No, I do. I do. Adios.